and 71 degrees, 71 percent humidity. And please be aware of the very hot weather warnings in force. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about visa requirements for Vietnamese visitors coming to Hong Kong and vice versa. Under the current rules, uh, Vietnamese passport holders visiting the SAR for tourism purposes are required to apply for a visa beforehand, which can be a lengthy process, taking several weeks. Some uh, business leaders have warned that the requirement is causing Hong Kong to miss out to an extent on an emerging market of 97 million people. Reciprocally, uh, Hong Kong passport holders have been excluded from Vietnam's easing of visa requirements for 25 countries and regions, which is due to come into effect uh, next month. But it's believed that change could be on the way, as the security chief uh, Chris Tang is preparing to visit the country next month, with uh, travel permits believed to be one of the matters due for consideration. How big of a boost would a mutual easing of visa rules be for Hong Kong's tourism sector? And what about Vietnam's? After 9.45, we'll be talking to two doctors about uh, Hong Kong's first uh, proton therapy centre. Let us know what you think. If you want to join the conversation, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us uh, now in our studio here in Broadcasting House, we have with us Casper uh, Choi, who's Executive Director of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Ada. And uh, also on the line, uh, Winnie Lam, who's a General Secretary of the Hong Kong Business Association Vietnam. Um, and perhaps, uh, Winnie Lam, uh, we could start with you. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Ada. Thanks, Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, now, uh, I know you've been quoted as saying that uh, you're concerned that Hong Kong could be missing out on business opportunities uh, because of these regulations. Can you just first uh, tell us a bit more about your concerns? Um, I think this is more than a concern, it's a fact. We have seen examples of Vietnamese companies trying to enter the Hong Kong market only turning away because they, for example, cannot get a long-stay visa for their representative. And it's been happening for a while. Uh, Vietnam may, may not be the, the first to, to look at going into Hong Kong, but definitely there are a lot of hurdles for them. Right. Is there a lot of interest um, uh, of, um, you know, business ties uh, between um, Vietnam and Hong Kong from your perspective? Well, first and foremost, first and foremost uh, it's an untapped um, territory. Um, because of the, the visa requirements, then they haven't been able to do business with, with Hong Kong, at least from a Vietnam uh, perspective. Hong Kong has been investing in Vietnam since the liberation in 1975, and a lot of businesses are doing very well here. Um, but going the other way, it, it's definitely untapped. Mm. Uh, is it the same situation for, for tourists and business travellers? Uh, it's the same, because everybody needs a visa. Mm. There, there is 
it just goes bilaterally. And it is not an easy feat for the Vietnamese to try to get a visa to Hong Kong, no matter if business or as a tourist. Mm. Mm. And uh, we said in the introduction uh, that uh, the population of Vietnam, well, uh, at the last uh, count was something like 97 million. It's probably more, more around about 100 million uh, now. Um, what potential do you think is there uh, for uh, tourism? For uh, uh, Do you think a, a lot of Vietnamese people would be interested in visiting Hong Kong for tourism? And at the moment, the figure's not great, is it? But uh, we're, we're really thinking about the potential here. Yes, the Vietnamese are becoming a lot more savvy and, and travel is becoming more a common thing. Mm. Being able to visit countries like Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand without a visa, and, and it is definitely, Hong Kong is some place that they want it to be. Vietnam is very familiar with Hong Kong through especially television programs and movies available um, in Vietnam. And it is the only reason that they're not there being visa. And if they can afford to go to places like Singapore regularly, they can certainly afford to go to Hong Kong. Mm. And of course, it's only a short journey, relatively speaking, as well, isn't it? Yes, mm. Uh, it mm. takes about two mm. and a half hours mm. from Ho Chi Minh City, and mm. it takes less than two hours from Hanoi. <laughs> from Hanoi, yeah. Pretty yeah. much mm. the, the time, mm. yeah, the, the mm. time that they would need to travel in country. Mm. Okay. Um, um, Kasper Choi, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, so, yeah, at the moment, uh, Vietnam is not a huge market for tourists coming to Hong Kong. Um, but uh, the, the future, it's, it's a developing economy. Um, it's developing very quickly. Um, what do you think about the potential there? And um, to what extent do you think, you know, the current visa requirements are deterring uh, visitors from coming here? I think the current uh, arrangement really is deterring the tourists from Vietnam. Um, we we look at uh, last year. I was actually uh, uh, one of our DAB uh, uh, member went to Vietnam for a duty visit, mm -hmm. and uh, we saw a number of uh, business uh, uh, community telling us uh, the visa requirement is one of the biggest hurdle uh, for them to come to Hong Kong. Even during COVID time, it's not a quarantine; it's the visa. Uh, looking at the past figures, we have about uh, forty-four thousand uh, travelers, including business. Uh, yes, currently they do have the APEC business travel card arrangement, but for those who do not, I mean, um, it's we're basically just uh, uh, asking them not to come to Hong Kong at the moment. Uh, Vietnam, yes, has great potential uh, to sell over nine millions. Uh, if we look at other region uh, or cities uh, like. Chinese Taipei. Uh, last year, uh, Vietnam tours uh, is the number one uh, foreign uh, tours uh, going to that place. Uh, it's over 130,000 uh, travelers. Oh. So that's that's the potential. Now, are we uh, like losing out or, or, or neglecting this market? I wouldn't think so. I mean, looking at uh, early this year, March, uh, we were having this Hong Kong campaign. And we're giving out airline tickets to places like Philippines, Singapore, Thailand. Now, one notice uh, 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 observation is Vietnam, we gave up 8,800 tickets. And that is a market I think we are looking into. 
uh, how do we attract more? I think um, that's the that's the problem, and I think that's the potential. We just need to loosen up. Uh, besides attracting tourists coming to Hong Kong and doing business, uh, that is also another market we can find foreign uh, uh, workers, uh, not just for uh, to 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 solve the labor shortage problem that we have in Hong Kong. What about the foreign domestic helpers as well? So you know, these are all the potential that we have. Um, yes, um, I I wonder, you know. Why why we have such restrictions um, just for Vietnam and not for Thailand, Malaysia? I guess there are historical reasons, right, Mr. Choi? Um, I, I wouldn't be in a position to speak for the Security Bureau, but uh, it could be the history. Uh, it could be back in the old days when we have a lot of... Um, uh, uh, people coming uh, to Hong Kong and uh, whether or not that is still a reason uh, I, I guess we just need to uh, find some explanation or is it time to review you know that could be a huge opportunity as well mm, okay uh, we're actually also joined uh, on the line now by another guest uh, Stephen Barnes who's a co-founder of the immigration consultancy uh, Hong Kong Visa Center and uh, author of the uh, book, uh, uh, sorry, of the Hong Kong Visa Handbook. Uh, Stephen Barnes, good morning to you. And a very good morning to you. And uh, thanks for joining us. A uh, little earlier than we were expecting, but it's, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for joining the conversation. Um, so how about that? I mean, do you have any insight on why the rules for people coming from Vietnam uh, should be tighter than from uh, other areas, other parts of the region? I mean, does it go back to the 70s and 80s and the, the large numbers of boat people uh, arriving in Hong Kong at that time? I have a sneaking suspicion that that colours the present policy towards um, Vietnamese, Vietnamese nationals. Um, they very much are the, the leper at the feast when it comes to Hong Kong immigration. And when you look at immigration policy across any jurisdiction, there are general themes and sort of threads that you can pull out of the kind of decision-making process which give rise to the various visa categories that exist to enable foreigners to come and participate in a particular economy. And Hong Kong is very much like that. So, for example, if you're coming to Hong Kong to study, you get a student visa. You get a student visa for the U.S., you get a student visa for Vietnam, you get, excuse me, for New Zealand, you get a student visa for any jurisdiction. Similarly, work visa for work. Similarly, investment visa if you're going to invest. But when you look at um, how that policy plays out in relation to Vietnamese nationals, it's just a dog's breakfast, frankly. Um, so just for example, uh, if you want to come to visit as a tourist, then it's a six-week process to secure a visa that's generally valid for two weeks. Um, the criteria for assessment to grant that visa are the same for Vietnamese nationals as for all other nationals that require a visa before arrival to come for tourism purposes. That is, you need to demonstrate they're a bona fide visitor to Hong Kong. Um, so there's no difference in terms of how visa before arrival nationals um, from other jurisdictions are treated compared to, to, to Vietnamese. But it begs the question, why is it so tough? Because Casper mentioned earlier on about the business travel card. Now, the business travel card is available for um, essentially nationals and permanent residents of APEC participating mm. economies. You apply in advance. It takes a few months to get the card issued. Uh, but essentially, the process of securing the card means that there's a kind of a pre-clearance of you as a business visitor. 
to the APEC participating economies, and Vietnam is a participating economy, and Hong Kong is a participating economy. So if you're a business visitor to Hong Kong and you've got an APEC travel card, you can come on to come into Hong Kong as a Vietnamese national without a visa, and you can stay for 60 days. So, you know, it kind of begs the question, really, what's the difference between being a business visitor and a tourist if you're a Vietnamese national and you want to come to Hong Kong? There's, there's obviously some policy diktat in play there, but when you look at it from a risk management perspective, certainly you've had pre-clearance because of the process of um, acquiring the APEC business travel card. But it suggests by the same token that if you get a visitor visa once, they should grant you a multiple entry, multi-year visa, right? Mm -hmm. um, therefore, you're not going to be precluded from visiting on spec when you need to. So there's a bit of a mismatch there. Mm -hmm. Vietnamese nationals, on the other hand, can't use our general employment policy, which is the, the visa policy that denotes whether you can come to take up employment, come for training, whether you can join in a business or establish a new business. So if you're a Vietnamese business owner and you want to establish a a branch in Hong Kong, under the general employment policy rules, you can't do that at the moment. So the door is closed. It's impossible for those business owners to come and establish that enterprise in Hong Kong and take up residence in Hong Kong to be able to work in it, to manage it and to, you know, participate uh, in our economy. Uh, another, another, another glaring example is that uh, if you're a student, if you want to come to Hong Kong to study, uh, as a Vietnamese national in university, you can get a student visa for your studies at master, excuse me, at degree or, or undergraduate or master's degree level. You can't get a student visa if you're coming, if you're being offered a scholarship from a university. Don't ask me why. And then ironically, if you graduate from the university uh, in Hong Kong with your bachelor or your master's degree, you are enabled to work. So while the general employment policy keeps you out, there seems to be some sort of magic associated with having gotten a degree uh, in Hong Kong that allows you to you know, participate in the local workforce after graduation. So, you know, you look at all of this stuff and you say to yourself, what the hell is going on? It's just very, very difficult to reconcile how the rules have sort of, you know, been mashed up over the years. And it's definitely time for uh, a serious relook at it, because I get asked all the time by, by Vietnamese nationals about wanting to come to Hong Kong. And as soon as they say, look, it's going to be really hard, you know, they just turn off. So we're definitely missing a trick. Right. Um, Stephen Barnes, um I mean, all, all these uh, sound very, very stringent uh, requirements. Um, uh, is this uh, only applicable to Vietnamese, or how about um, you know uh, nationals from the other ASEAN countries? Uh, of course, Malaysian, Thailand, um, Laos, and Cambodia. Is it the same or not? La 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 Laos is treated the same way as Vietnam, uh, Vietnam is, and Cambodia is as well. But they're in the same bucket as North Korea and Cuba. Mm. Right. Okay. And but um, not not the other ASEAN countries, I guess. No, uh, not at all. Mm, not at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, Winnie Lam, um, what sort of difficulties have your members encountered when applying for uh, vi uh, visas to come to Hong Kong? I mean, apart from just um, you know the length of time, the number of weeks that it takes. Um, I think let, let's take it into two parts. For our members, mostly is that they have some form of business operations in Hong Kong, they are even unable to send their staff to Hong Kong for training it's because it's just simply they, they reject without reason. 
and these uh, we are talking about a very affordable company who who operates here, like the Jardines and even the Cafe Pacific, for example. It, it is extremely difficult. So as a result, like companies like Bank of Kenzie will have to train send their new staff to Singapore or Bangkok for training instead of being able to go to their health office in Hong Kong. So over time, people are just stopping to consider Hong Kong as an opportunity for, for some of these staff to go. And, and it is creating quite, quite a bit of stress um, on this company because like, that is their normal onboarding process for some of the positions that they are hiring at the North India level, but we just couldn't get to Hong Kong for training, for example. And then there will be a new meetings that they wanted to do. And again, there, there is no facilitation for such, um, even though when um, Hong Kong PDC trying to um, bring delegates to Hong Kong and under the sponsorship of the Hong Kong Trade Development Council, they still can get visa for at least um, 10 to 20 percent of the people they are able to attract, and that translates to serious opportunities missed. Right. Um, what What are you hoping uh, to to relax? I mean, obviously, um, visa free is is the best, but um, short of that. Um, uh, should it be like um, you know the length of stay could be um, could be longer uh, than seven days or two weeks or the um, uh, application procedures and the um, period uh, could be uh, shorter i i i wrote uh, i mean i read a read a report that um, a traveler needed to submit um, her birth certificate uh, you know, to to our immigration authorities, and also to state where she has been in the last ten years. Obviously, I I cannot do that. I cannot you know, enumerate all the places that I've been. So so the, these are actually the smaller details, but um, they they are quite. Um, um, I, I guess they are not very welcoming, as well. Well, there there is there is a precedent. Uh, oh, so, was that? I uh, think that was addressed. Stephen, to... Yeah, I, 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 I was asking Winnie Lam. You know what? What was she hoping for? Short of visa-free, could, could it be like a, a shorter, a longer stay, or, or better procedures in application? Yeah. Winnie, uh, I, I think it is important to look at why we need a visa application. Yes, you, you have mentioned it's important. It's always important to give some of the information they're asking for, and people are afraid of omission. So. That could become a reason of, of them not being granted a visa, and they don't want that on their record. It's because they were they would they ask uh, for other visa application where you ever refused a visa to whichever places that may be. So I think a a matter of fact simplified process is important. That you ask the relevant questions for this particular uh, uh, visa application, and not to mention that after you know uh, the person has supplied the information of the ten last ten years of traveling, they are merely getting a, a seven days visa, mm. and that you you would have to do it all over again the next time. And even though if you have a previous visa approval. And you still have to go through that, and that is not a guarantee. And this is exp it's very expensive. Not every Vietnamese is able to go online and do it now, even though there is the e-visa application portal 
right now. And as a result, they have to pay a agent to do that. And that is up with 150 US dollars per application without guaranteeing that it is going to go through, not to mention that they have to have a guaranteed ticket that they booked already with the hotel that they have booked. And this could become very expensive. When a round-trip travel to, to Hong Kong, right now it's about, what, $350. It, you, you look at the additional spending that you, you may be having, and, and that's not a very reasonable up. Mm-hmm. Now, two-way two way visa waiver may, may be a, a stretch as an immediate next step. But I think the visa application process needs to be reasonable. Okay. Uh, let's come back to Stephen Barnes in just a moment. But I uh, just wanted to ask Casper uh, Choi, um, as uh, Executive Director of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners, has your organisation made any representative, representations to the administration and do you see any prospect for a change in the situation? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, but I think um, if the government is really um, considering... Uh, any type of um, agreement with the Vietnam government, I think it's really worthwhile. I think the whole uh, tourism sector would be supportive of this idea. Um, uh, going on the level of, uh, I guess, uh, clearance, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I, I would probably hope that uh, they can work out something so we can treat Vietnam as any other Asian country, um, because uh, we are attracting business. To Hong Kong and uh, like our hotels, uh, we're not just doing tours. Uh, one of our major component is business travelers. So um, if there is a huge potential of uh, Viennese uh, business uh, that we can attract to Hong Kong, uh, we're just not attracting them uh, uh, for Hong Kong market. Uh, mind you that uh, we are attracting business from all over the world, so they can they're interested in the Greater Bay or the mainland Greater Bay, uh, uh, China market. So uh, are we doing everything that we can uh, to attract business, uh, to tell the good Hong Kong story? That's what they're talking about. Uh, so th- if these minor details we can relax, uh, I think you know the whole uh, tourism and, and, and service sector, we, we, we're definitely supportive of it. Mm-hmm. So at yeah. the moment, from the hotel sector, uh, Vietnamese tourists uh, would be very few in numbers. It's a very small percentage at the moment, but I said the potential is there. Mm. And uh, uh, if we are uh, currently having 85% of travelers mainly from mainland, uh, more diversification is good. Hong Kong's positioning has been an international city, uh, not just business. I mean, uh, we have a lot of cultural events, we have a lot of uh, mega sports uh, events. Now we, we can attract you know uh, travelers from, from this region to come to Hong Kong. Uh, I don't think that we are in a position to to pick a market. We should be welcoming all markets to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Stephen Barnes? Well, yeah, so <clears throat> excuse me. I think it's important to sort of understand where um, or what, rather what the rationale is for the visa policy for uh, visitors uh, that do require a visa for, before arrival. What the immigration department is seeking to avoid is <clears throat> excuse me, overstayers and those who seek to take up uh, unauthorized employment while they're visiting Hong Kong. Now, for, for some reason, they obviously deem, you know, Vietnamese nationals to be of a particularly high risk to that end, which is why there's such a stringent visa before arrival policy in place. But there are um, instruments and mechanisms to sort of deal with this. Uh, the first thing to consider is, well, can it go completely visa-free? 
such that you can be like a Filipino uh, national. You can get a two-week uh, visa upon arrival, uh, be enabled to get yourself one two-week extension either down at the immigration tower or by shuttling off to Macau and coming back, uh, getting another two-week refresh, and then that's it. The immigration department will not entertain you anymore. You have to leave. Um, there's sort of a precedent in terms of uh, perhaps looking to how Filipino nationals are treated visa-free. But there is this other instrument, too, which was introduced a few years ago in relation to Indian nationals who used to be able to arrive in Hong Kong completely visa-free. Um, there then was a kind of a, a, an underground market of sort of snakehead-type characters that were encouraging Indian nationals to come visa-free. Uh, and then once their visitor visa had expired, they just moved themselves into the refugee claim uh, process, which, you know, takes a very long time to process. And there was significant risk of, um, of uh, unauthorized employment during that time. So the Immigration Department needed to do something about that. Uh, and so they introduced, on the one hand, a visa before arrival requirement, but also introduced something called a pre-arrival registration. Uh, and that's a simple online form that you fill in uh, where there's a couple of declarations. I believe it's checked against the database of um, those who have got a, a poor travel record in relation to Hong Kong in the past uh, and then would um, either refuse or approve that pre-arrival registration uh, there and then. Uh, and then you'd be able to travel to Hong Kong for two weeks uh, for a long, unlimited excuse me, yeah, for yeah, two weeks okay. for, 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 a, for, for a number of periods. I think it's valid for five years or three years. I forget how long it's valid for. Right. But, but there is an instrument that's available that could be immediately applied to solve that problem. Okay, St uh, Stephen, um, let's talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Uh, we've got to take a short break for a news summary and, uh, and a couple of uh, announcements. Uh, a quick look at the weather before we do that. Uh, it's going to be uh, mainly fine today, but extremely hot. Uh, with a top temperature of around 35 degrees. Isolated showers later. The outlook persistently very hot in the next couple of days. Showers will increase in the middle and latter parts of the week and there will also be some uh, squalls towards the weekend. Currently it's 30 degrees, humidity 72% and the very hot weather warning is in effect. New summary with Barry O'Rourke. The Chief Executive John Lee arrives in Jakarta today for the second leg of his tour of Association of Southeast Asian Nations countries. He'll meet Indonesian officials, representatives of the Chinese Embassy and the ASEAN Secretary-General Kao Kim Hoon. A children's rights activist says the authorities must be thorough and humane in investigating the case of a 12-year-old boy who was abandoned at a Hong Kong hospital. Officials sought a child protection order on Saturday after finding the boy wandering around Kwangwa Hospital. And mass demonstrations are continuing into the night in Israel against the passing of a controversial new law aimed at curbing the powers of the Supreme Court. Security forces in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv are using water cannon to disperse protesters who have blocked highways and are continuing to scuffle with mounted police. We'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Have you signed up yet to the Centralised Organ Donation Register? I have. Remember to tell your family of your wish after registration, as the doctors will need your family's consent before they can go ahead with organ donation and encourage your family and friends to register too. Many patients are waiting for an organ transplant every day. Register now at www.codr.gov.hk. 
Support organ donation and share your wish with your family. Want to be a perfect employer? You have to pay wages and make MPF contributions on time. Remember to make MPF contributions and submit remittance statements on or before the 10th day of each month. If there are public holidays on or before the 10th of the month, you should arrange your MPF contributions earlier. A 5% surcharge will be imposed for late contributions. Use electronic services to make timely and accurate contributions. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat with uh, Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, visa requirements for uh, Vietnamese visitors, uh, a very large uh, potential market there, but uh, uh, complicated uh, uh, visa application processes uh, uh, may be deterring a lot of um, people from uh, Vietnam for, from visiting uh, Hong Kong at a time when we're looking for as much uh, business and tourism as possible. Uh, we have uh, with us Casper uh, Choi, who's Executive Director of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners, uh, Winnie Lam, uh, General Secretary of the Hong Kong Business Association Vietnam, and uh, Stephen Barnes, uh, co-founder of uh, immigration consultancy uh, Hong Kong Visa Centre and author of the Hong Kong Visa Handbook. Um, um, Stephen Barnes, sorry, I had to cut you off just before the news. Uh, um, you, you were talking about a, a solution. I think you were about to finish a point. Yeah, it's about the pre-arrival registration, yep. which is for, applicable specifically for Indian nationals, which is a very simple process and uh, takes two or three minutes to complete. You get an answer there and then. If you aren't approved, then you have to apply for a visitor visa. But at least you know... Uh, whether you're going to be uh, able to visit Hong Kong, in a sense, administratively easily, just by starting the process through an online submission. There's no guarantee, of course, that you're not, um, admitted once you arrive in Hong Kong, because you still have to front an immigration officer and demonstrate the totality of your bona fide days as a visitor, return ticket, confirmed um, accommodation, sufficient funds, good solid reason for being in Hong Kong and the rest. All the normal sorts of inspections that occur to assess the bona fide days of visitors. But it, the PAR has proven to be a, a pretty decent solution to what was becoming an intractable problem. And uh, while some um, poor souls who are genuinely eligible for a PAR, you know, get knocked back by the system, I think most most folks who are genuine visitors to Hong Kong are able to use it and get good value out of it. So the system, for, for the most part, works. Okay. Um, Winnie Lam, talking about people going the other way, I mean, v Vietnam's a pretty uh, popular destination from, for people from uh, Hong Kong. Um, um, from memory, the, the process is not particularly difficult. What, c what can you tell us? Um, it is still required a visa, and mm. with the uh, Hong Kong passport holders being able to utilize the uh, e-visa applications right now is a bit easier. Mm -hmm. um, we haven't heard of much rejection, and uh, it's more a process that people have to go through, and an additional cost um, if comparing to neighboring countries that they may have the same consent fee for a vacation. Mm. Right, a lot of tourists are going to Vietnam, as far as I know, including friends. Uh, mm. what, what about business people from Hong Kong? Uh, what, what's their interest, and you know, what sort of uh, areas uh, would they be interested in investing in? Um, Hong Kong has consistently been in the top six 
for foreign direct investment into Vietnam for the, for the past 10 years at least. So there are a lot of, of business interests here. In the earlier days, like uh, from, from liberation days, most of the investment in Vietnam from Hong Kong are in the garment apparel industry because of culture and whatnot. Recent years, or it has been real estate, and a lot of uh, technology investments uh, also are in Vietnam right now from Hong Kong. Um, we are seeing more and more SMEs coming into Vietnam for, for otherwise opportunity also. So we're definitely seeing an increased interest in Vietnam, no matter if it's from a a service perspective, technology perspective, and a manufacturing perspective. And 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 how about exchanges? Uh, uh, well, obviously, a visa is very difficult to get. Uh, but do you know of any Vietnamese students uh, being able to um, um, to study in Hong Kong uh, or to come to Hong Kong for cultural exchange? Uh, we are seeing some more students considering Hong Kong. Uh, for university destination uh, because of the proximity to, to Vietnam. Um, it is, I, I wouldn't say it's a more difficult or easier process for them right now because the number is really, really small. The Hong Kong University has recently established a representative office in Vietnam and obviously in hope to recruit more students um, for the university, but I think it's still a little bit too early to tell um, whether the, the visa situation will help or deter. Well, I think Hong Kong needs a lot of talents, and um, as, as, as far as I know, the, uh, uh, the Vietnamese population is rather young as compared to, to that of Hong Kong. Uh, so, and, and what about um, Vietnamese going to mainland China? Winnie, Winnie Lam. Um, it is a, it is a different, it is a different visa process, and, and definitely it is a place of interest. So um, the, the thing is that if they are going to, to China, they would not choose to go through Hong Kong because it's a separate visa process, and uh, they, they would have to fly direct. And definitely, the interest is high also. And China being a, a vast land that they haven't been exploring in the past, um, and of course, as, as their business situations are improving also. But two-way visa, it, it's still a bit in, in a difficult place. Okay, so it's still difficult to get a visa to travel to China? For, yes, for Vietnamese. to travel to China. Mm. Yes, correct. Okay, just a message here from uh, uh, on our Facebook from uh, uh, listener Polly says uh, I just paid four hundred and fifty dollars for a Vietnam visa last month. Uh, need proof of stay and return uh, ticket proof. Uh, they need to reciprocate what they asked for. Um, uh, in terms of connectivity, though, Casper um, uh, Choi, um, and it's not too bad, is it? I mean. Uh, Greater Bay Airlines has just put on uh, two direct weekly flights, I think, from from Hong Kong to, to Vietnam. And uh, there, I think there are like four airlines now that fly directly between the two places. So um, that's, that's a good development. <laughs> um, well, given the, the number of tourists uh, uh, that we have, I think you know, the airline connectivity is, is already there. Uh, it's actually good because uh, right now the uh, airport, uh, they're only at uh, less than 60% capacity right now. But uh, I guess everything is in place. 
So uh, the question is just like all the other guests uh, said today, uh, whether we can relax uh, some uh, immigration policy so we can uh, bring the business and the travelers to Hong Kong. Um, and on top of that, I, I like to also mention the uh, the population is rather young. So that is a huge market uh, for potential, I don't know, for domestic helpers or import of labor uh, because um, they could be interested in uh, coming to Hong Kong, maybe later serving the Greater Bay region as well. Uh, this is another problem that Hong Kong faces. We do not have enough support, home support. Uh, so Philippines is one market, Indonesia is a, is, a, is a great success. Do we have a third market? So, you know, these are some of the things that, you know, we should look into in the long term. Mm. Tourism-wise, yes, we, we love them. Uh, I think that everything is there, just, just bring them in. Mm. But in terms of language, uh, the, at least the, uh, the Filipino mates, uh, they can speak a bit of English. Uh, what about Vietnamese? Uh, well, uh, if you've been to Vietnam, uh, <laughs> you, you would notice that uh, you know, language is not that big of a problem. Uh, and uh, other regional markets are looking for uh, labor from that source as well. So we just want to make sure that we're not losing out. Mm. Certainly people in the hotel and hospitality industry in Vietnam all seem to have pretty good uh, command of English. Yeah. 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 Are so, our Hong Kong hotel owners uh, investing uh, in the hotel market, um, as I'm, far as you know? Well, I, I'm sure, yes, there are some investment uh, in that region in Vietnam. Uh, but like I said, you know, it's it's a, a up-and-coming uh, you know, economy. Uh, it's considered you know, a, a focus. I mean, that's why I said you know, earlier this year, we're giving out like 9,000 tickets to Vietnam. Uh, if there's no potential, why would we invest <laughs> and giving our tickets there? Um, I'm sure that you know this is another market that we will we want to tap into. Yeah. So we want a quicker processing of those nine thousand visas. That uh, I'm sure that, that they they should. <laughs> otherwise, that would be a bad experience <laughs> for them. Yes. Can, can I just ask you about uh, the hotel sector generally? Here? Yes. Um, <laughs> is it um, um, how, how's the big picture looking? Well, um, we were uh, excited about the summer. I mean, since the reopening, uh, we've been getting uh, uh, tourists coming to Hong Kong, but it seems to be uh, a kind of bottlenecked at 2.8 million <laughs> a month right now. Uh, last month, about 2.7 million tourists. Uh, one of the reasons is about uh, shortage of labor, and the chain uh, reaction is that uh, airlines, uh, they're not able to accept more uh, planes coming to Hong Kong. So the long-stayed uh, tourists, you know, that been affected, luckily, but we do have the high-speed rail, uh, so they are really looking into expanding marketing uh, within the mainland China, five-hour uh, five uh, 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 travel-timed uh, cities that try to attract more tourists coming to Hong Kong. But another huge challenge would be the shortage of labor in our sector. Uh, recently, we did a survey, we're short of 9,000. Uh, uh, practitioners. So are they back of house or are they reception? Everything. We got about uh, a third in back of house, uh, reception and uh, catering. So uh, it's affecting uh, all service industry. Now we're, we're grateful that the government had announced uh, the new the enhancement. However, uh, I heard, I've uh, been chasing them as well, uh, any new detail would not be available until September. So the timetable is, is quite grooming. Uh, uh, why? Because uh, if we don't have new source of labor in uh, 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 in September, uh, that's the only time that we may get some new details of the application. Application, you know, in the old days would be five months, usually longer. If they can, you know, uh, kind of shorten it to three months, we're looking at at least the second quarter 
we get the first batch of labor. Now that is going to hurt our business greatly because uh, if we look at summer, okay, we are not able to uh, open up, uh, you know, uh, all our rooms uh, to service guests because we don't want to decrease in our service. We just had a service campaign. We need to uphold that. This is our brand. Uh, so what about Christmas? Well, as you you, know, you notice that the timetable, no no labor coming in uh, December. Uh, so that is going to hold us back a little bit. But we are still positive about development. Uh, but I'm just stating the fact that this summer and um, maybe this Christmas holiday, uh, it's not going to be as, as great as we hoped. Uh, because if we have travelers coming to Hong Kong, we won't be able to accept them all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the shortage of labor, it's a, it's, it's a serious issue in many parts of the world, isn't it? Not, not just Hong Kong. Uh, um, just thinking, um, um, Winnie Lam, what's the situation in Vietnam regarding a, a labor shortage and what sort of effect is it having uh, on the tourism sector and the, and the hotel sector there? Uh, I think it's very similar worldwide as mm. to what we are experiencing in terms of the tourism e economy. Um, yes, we, we also have a shortage of staff. Uh, one of the contributions um, is also because there are more hotels as the country develops. And while training is not fast enough, people are looking at different avenues. Also, Vietnam, Vietnamese labor is actually a big contributor to the Macau tourism, in which a lot of them actually work in Macau. Um, locally, we are seeing the disbursement of labor through no, no longer only concentrated in the uh, city centers as the country continues to develop. Um, after COVID, uh, a lot of people has returned to their hometown, and based on the development of their hometown, they no longer come out for um, the same kind of work for the same kind of money that they may be earning, but not able to keep most of it. Mm. So I, I think this is a um, world problem that Vietnam is also part of. Okay, okay. And on that note, I'm afraid we're out of time for this part of this morning's programme, but uh, thanks very much to all of our guests. Uh, uh, that was Winnie Lam, General Secretary of the uh, Hong Kong Business Association Vietnam. Uh, thanks very much to Casper uh, Choi, Executive Director of the Federation of Hong Kong Hotel Owners, and uh, Stephen Barnes, co-founder of Immigration Consultancy uh, Hong Kong Visa Centre and author of the Hong Kong Visa Handbook. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, I'm Michael Wong, the Deputy Financial Secretary. For the past 95 years, our THK has shared a common journey with Hong Kong people. Going forward, I trust that our THK will continue to provide Hong Kong with more programs that are rich in content and that can move our hearts. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned, Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last part uh, of this morning's uh, programme, we're going to be hearing about uh, Hong Kong's uh, first uh, proton uh, beam cancer centre treatment for, for treating uh, tumours uh, with proton beams uh, uh, instead of uh, the more traditional methods. Um, um, to tell us more about this, uh, we're joined on the line by Dr Stephen Law, who's an honorary uh, consultant in clinical oncology with the Hong Kong Sanatorium Hospital 
Hospital and a specialist in clinical oncology and also Professor Terence Sio, who's a radiation oncologist with the, sorry, the Mayo Clinic in Arizona in the US, who's here as part of a partnership with the HKSH. Good morning to you both. Perhaps Dr. Law first, we could start with you. Yes. Yeah. Th- thanks. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so this is this is a new technology uh, for, for for many Hong Kong people. This is the first uh, centre of its kind uh, uh, in Hong Kong. Can you just uh, e- explain to us um, uh, what are the special characteristics of this and and what are its advantages for treating tumours? Yeah, uh, the Hong Kong Sanatorium and Hospital Proton Therapy Centre is first of its kind in Hong Kong. We offer patients a more advanced and alternative treatment option in radiotherapy for cancers and also other diseases. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our centres, we employed a, a new scanning technique whereby the, a small narrow beam of proton particles, no thicker than a pencil, is scanned onto a tumour and then somewhat paint those uh, to this uh, maximal accuracy, and the and this proton beam will deposit its entire energy directly on the tumor, but not beyond. So the technique is considered to be more effective than conventional radiotherapy, and uh, and offering greater control over the depth of the proton penetration. Now, in 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 the past, we used photon, so we treat deep seated tumors. And then the dose will continue to do the grade beyond the tumor so that the normal tissue around the, the, the target will also receive some dose. But proton is different. All the energy is deposited right at the tumor and then nothing beyond. So in the sense that it decreases the dose to other normal tissues, which is a big advantage. Uh, we have data uh, in, the, in the international literature to decrease the long-term uh, complication, especially second malignancy. Mm. So, so, I mean, it's quite different from x-rays, for example. I mean, it, and it wouldn't uh, to affect to the same extent the other tissue uh, around the area that's being treated. Correct, correct. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, um, Dr. Law, this all sounds like very good news. Um, and um, I guess in layman terms, you know, the proton therapy won't uh, kill the healthy um, cells, as, as we uh, call it. Uh, so what types of cancer uh, could use this proton therapy? Yeah, so, so this is a very good question. So uh, first of all, I, I'm very thankful for uh, Hong Kong Sanatorium Hospital for giving me an opportunity to share with you guys too and uh, to talk about just how latest uh, technology and the advances have finally come to Hong Kong and with the proton therapy centers uh, that we're starting to begin treatment uh, just about two weeks ago. The uh, proton beam radiation therapy uh, centers here is very advanced. We uh, use a technology called a spot scanning technology and with uh, these big machines and in the synchrotron synchrotron based accelerators that are also placed vertically, which is a very unique design uh, for the entire world even. There are uh, many different ways how we're going to be uh, approaching and treating with proton therapy that in some ways are actually even more advanced than what uh, Mayo Clinic, uh, what we have been doing. And for the cancer types that uh, can be used for proton therapy, we would like to be able to use that for many kinds of solid cancers uh, in the human body. And uh, as you know, like cancer is a big problem uh, for our society and also with an aging population. And with proton therapy, uh, we can treat many different kinds of cancers. 
such as pro, uh, prostate, uh, breast cancer, esophageal cancer, lung cancers, and many different kinds. And uh, it really is the uh, the benefit of two uh, worlds. That on one way, on on in one way, we would like to be able to use the proton beam to kill as many cancer cells as possible, but also recognizing that with any cancer therapies, we have side effects. And because of the special properties of protons, that we would be able to minimize the radiation energy to other normal tissues, and as a result, protect the patient in the process. So this is a technology that is actively evolving uh, in the entire world. And uh, finally, we have that in Hong Kong here. So it, it is actually great to witness history uh, in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Professor Xiao, what, what sort of uh, success rate have you had uh, at the uh, Mayo Clinic in the U.S.? Yeah, so we have enjoyed a, a high level of success uh, in terms of cure rate and also uh, in terms of the ability to uh, see how the patients are doing using what we call patient-reported tools and survey outcomes. So, for example, um, in cancers that I treat more often, uh, which are gastrointestinal and lung cancers, uh, we now have multiple publications showing the efficacy and showing that we'll actually be able to cure more uh, with proton beam radiotherapy. Our patients are very grateful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you mentioned about um, an aging society, which Hong Kong is one. Um, so is this proton therapy suitable for all ages or should there be anything to worry about if like a very old person above 80, you know, come come due for this therapy? Absolutely. Yeah. So in terms of uh, age and the uh, kind of patients that we are typically seeing, there's really no age restriction for proton beam therapy in general. And uh, proton beam is especially uh, suited for treating both uh, children and also adults. And in fact, we would prefer to be treating pediatric patients uh, very soon. With pediatric patients, sometimes it's difficult, especially the younger ones, to have them stay on the uh, machine and the table uh, for a longer period of time so that we can aim the proton beam correctly into the body. And it usually requires some anesthesia um, uh, arrangements. For example, with boys that are uh, less than 12 years old and girls less than 10 years old. So usually in, in this regard, the girls do better than the boys, actually. Mm. So, um, But uh, it is very important that we are using a, uh, a technique with the proton beam radiation, especially for pediatric cancers. Because with uh, children, if they are exposed to radiation therapy, they have a risk of generating a second cancer uh, over the next 10, 15, and even longer living years of, of their lives. So being able to limit the radiation dose and the exposure from the normal tissue is very helpful. So uh, proton is a huge indication uh, in, in that population as a result. Mm. Um, um, can I ask uh, Dr. Law, um, what do you think the introduction of this uh, new therapy center uh, will mean for medical advancement in Hong Kong? Uh, now, we are the first of its kind in Hong Kong, and then we hope that we in Hong Kong will introduce a new level of precision and accuracy in treatment, better treatment outcome and improved quality of life. And so with it, uh, our center will be the clinical research and medical training, not only for private, but also for public. 
and hopefully we can introduce more and then more hospital like even in public and so on will introduce the same to uh, benefit the whole mm. population. Mm. I, I, I believe there are about a hundred of uh, centres like these uh, uh, around the world. Um, what, what about in this region? Uh, we have several in uh, Taiwan, okay. uh, mainland China, mm-hmm. and also Singapore, yeah. Uh, yeah. and also uh, in Japan. So in the past, where we thought the proton center in Hong Kong, many of our patients will go in the in our vicinity for this treatment, and we hope that uh, we can uh, uh, attract these pa- uh, uh, patients back to their own places. And so that they will have a better treatment in a in a more uh, accustomed environment. Mm. So, Doctor Law, are you in contact with your peers at the hospital authority? Because uh, obviously, the Hong Kong Sanatorium Hospital is a pioneer in the in this area uh, with uh, the proton therapy. But I would hope that um, the hospital authority could one day, um, you know, have such therapy centers for for more public. Uh, we are in the process of negotiating with the hospital authority and then because uh, especially the Hong Kong Children's Hospital because as the professor still mentioned that pediatric is actually our main target uh, for the proton treatment and the negotiation is ongoing because we just started to treat the service uh, only for two weeks so the, we need some time and then uh, we hopefully there will be a public-private uh, partnerships in this regard. Mm. Uh, yeah, uh, Professor Xu, this, this is a, a relatively expensive type of treatment, isn't it? Uh, uh, it does, does that reflect the sort of novelty, if you like, the novelty of the treatment, uh, the, the, the newness of the technology, or would you, would you expect that it will become uh, more commonplace and therefore less uh, expensive going forward? Yeah, absolutely. That That is a great question. And, and this is something that uh, is constantly being discussed in the United States and, and also other parts of the world that uh, as physicians and also uh, healthcare leaders, we are stewards uh, of the resources that are bestowed to us. And uh, with proton beam radiotherapy, because of the requirements for the capital and also the large machineries that are involved, the cost is inherently higher uh, that, uh, to make this technology available. But then there are also other means and, and ways how we can work with the public and also our partners. And for example, in the United States, it's our insurance payers. So to help them understand, yes, the cost may be more compared to traditional radiotherapy, but then uh, we also would like to be able to provide that values too, to be able to give better quality of life and quality years to our patients who not only just would survive uh, their cancers through the innovative treatment, but also being able to live a more normal life free of complications from the therapies. Mm-hmm. And okay. that part to me is priceless. So I think it really is about depending on the age and the population that we are serving mm-hmm. and also the kind of cancers that we are dealing with. And there may be different scenarios. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, explaining that to us. I'm afraid we're uh, out of time. That was uh, uh, Professor Terence uh, Sue, who's uh, a radiation uh, oncologist with the uh, Mayo Clinic uh, in Arizona. And uh, thank you very much to uh, Dr. Stephen Law, honorary consultant in clinical oncology with the Hong Kong Sanatorium and... Uh, hospital. And uh, thank you very much uh, to our co-host today, Ada Wong. 
Thank you, Jim. And thanks to our producer, uh, Raphael. Stay with us uh, for the brunch uh, with Noreen um, after the new summary coming up.